Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of Retro Encounter, the RPG fan podcast that is not beholden to current events, where we talk about any games or game-related topics we want to, as long as we can vaguely consider them RPGs. Now, I have with me three panelists today who, including myself, all love Nihon Falcom, the RPG developer of Legend of Heroes and Ys and many wonderful games. So let's introduce them. First, we have Caitlin Argeros. Hi, guys. Link is Errol on the boards. And uh, I love me some trails. Robert Fenner. Hey, folks. Towns Carmarty on the boards. I love Falcom, and that's a fact. A dark fact. Oh. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, we're not, we're, not, we're not getting any worse than that. And lastly, our resident Falcom reviewer extraordinaire, Derek Heemsbergen. Hello, I am Embryon on the boards, and uh, when you asked me to come on this show, it was an easy decision to make. <laughs> oh man, I thought we couldn't get worse. Wow. Yeah, I should have known that someone was going to make terrific. a joke like that. Well, alright, well, well I'm, I'm Mike Solosi, I'm Monsoon on the boards, and I'm a little bit of a, uh, uh, I guess... You're trailing off there. Oh wow, okay, alright. Oh god. Colder than cold steel. Mm-hmm. Anyway... I'm a bit of a latecomer to the Falcom fandom. I didn't, I didn't love a Falcom game until playing Trails in the Sky five years ago. But I know that uh, the other panelists here are Falcom connoisseurs of the highest order. So uh, let's start a little bit general, I guess. Um, uh, Derek, why do you love Falcom, and why do we keep going back to their games? Well, there are a lot of reasons, uh, and I think that it may differ a little bit from person to person, what we think is the... the defining uh, sort of characteristic that Falcom games tend to possess. but uh, And also, just to follow up on what you were saying a minute ago, I don't think there's any pedigree necessary to be a fan of anything. No, you know? well, yeah, I, I didn't want to... I, I, I know it's not yeah. what you meant, but... Uh, I, I didn't want to no make, make a... Here. <laughs> yeah, everybody's uh, welcome to the Falcom yeah. cult. I mean, family, um, so <laughs> long as you share our adoration for... Yeah, game. I didn't want to, so, like, allude to a culture of elitism or anything. I just wanted to just make it clear, I am sort I of a, a latecomer, and Falcom games before, say, 2005 are not really uh, in my wheelhouse, but maybe yeah, yours. Well, I mean, when I played East 3 on Super Nintendo, I hated it. I thought it was terrible. And uh, Wanderers from East is terrible. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of wrote the, the company off for a while, uh, not because I thought that all their games were that awful. I was just like, okay, I didn't like that one, so I don't know. And then when East 6, Arkham of Pishtim, came out for PS2, I thought that was pretty good. I was a little sad at how short it ended up being, but um, then from there, I, I think it, I really fell in love with the series when, uh, I guess the first one to come out from Exceed was East 7, and that's when things really took off for me. But that's not the question you asked, so let me get back to that in a moment. <laughs> Uh, so you asked why why I love Falcom. I think there are a lot of things that Falcom does very consistently and has sharpened to a fine edge. Uh, one of the biggest things that they do super, super well is world building. Um, Falcom games are known for having incredibly extensive lore that spans multiple entries over multiple years. And uh, the Trail series and the East series are two prime examples of that. The Trail series more so, but uh, even East, every game in the East series takes place across this interconnected world. And it's it's tantalizing uh, every time we hear about a new game on the horizon because it's like, oh my god, what new part of this 
world are we going to go to next? Yeah, especially and the lore is so rich. Especially since they sort of uh, rebooted might be the wrong word, but they started getting a little bit more consistent with these lore, starting with uh, Napishtim and Felgana, so that with each game we learn more about the El Deal and whatever deep dark secrets there are on behind the different nations in East. And uh, and there's a lot of consistent elements like the Rom Empire and Adal being terrible with boats and <laughs> a variety of other things. But yeah, it, even though the East games are sort of shorter, more focused action games compared to the Legend of Heroes series, they really do an amazing job of world building and developing this consistent lore. I, it's part of why I love them. Yes, agreed. And you'll have little connections that are not necessary to enjoy any game on the, in the series on its own, but when you play them all and sort of take it as a collective work, um, I think it, the experience is greatly enhanced, and that, that's true for the Kiseki series as well. I mean, of course, with, uh, with the Trails series. Uh, with the Trails games, of course, you'll have direct sequels to things that you need to play the previous game for, but in East, um, like you mentioned, in East 6, Ark of Nepishtim, which came out here before East... The Oath and Felgana, a remake of 3. This timeline is so goddamn complicated. It's the kind of thing that uh, you need a spreadsheet to keep track of if you're not knee-deep in it like some of us are. Let's not even uh, get started on the Dragon Slayer series. Oh yeah, and it, yeah. like Dragon Slayer was Legend of Heroes 1, then it spun off. But then That's they right, started... Dragon Slayer 7. <laughs> yeah, it, right. Oh, man. it's. I, I, I need a wiki article to understand the timeline of that one. And, there, right. and in fact, Xanadu is not Falcom, but Xanadu is... It's well, it's a it's a licensed thing, you know, in the same way that companies would license East games to put yeah, on consoles. The, the, there are kind of... there are two versions of East four that are ne- neither of which were developed by Falcom, and then There's the re- only... sorry, and, go ahead. Yeah, and then the remake of East four, uh, Memories of Salsetta, incorporated plot elements of both of those uh, of those nineties East fours, which is uh, weird to explain. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bonkers, mm-hmm. but. Uh... Like I was saying, connected plot points, like um, because uh, Arkham Nepishtim came out here so much sooner, there were things that were alluded to in, in previous Japan-only East games, like the Rom Empire, that we just didn't really have any frame of reference for. And so we play that, and uh, you see things like East 7 where uh, Gase, one of the main characters, is the brother of the antagonist of East 6 And then here, even further in the future, when we play... Uh, Memories of Salsetta, the remake of East 4, sort of remake of those two East 4 games, uh, you find out that Frida was, she was engaged, right, to Ernst? Yes, she was. Uh, yeah. And then, and then Ernst left, and Frida, Frida's whole village are descended from the Dark Tribe from East Origin, and Frida's moveset is similar to one of the Dark Tribe bosses in in East Origin. Yeah, I mean, how, yeah, how bonkers is that, to have all of those small connections that don't necessarily impact the plot of any single game all that much? But, um, you know, taken as a whole, it's like, holy crap, they, they really spend a lot of time planning out their, their games. And something that I've always been curious about is how the hell they keep track of all of these subplots and NPC side stories and character relationships. Um, there, there has to be some kind of master lore file that is just a fascinating read. But it's yeah. sure it, like an East Bible and a Trails Bible somewhere. There has you know, like, to be, like Perfect because, Works. Yeah, for like Xenogears, exactly. Because there's there's stuff like the minor character uh, Anton in Trails in the Sky 1 shows <laughs> yes. up at the end of Cold Steel 2 what? in a side quest. That That's a full, like, seven games into that series. 
this dude shows up. I mean, you does, know, does he show up in any of the... every town in Cold Steel 1 as well. Does, yeah, does he's he, all over the place. Does he show up in between uh, Sora and Cold Steel 1, like in any of the Crossbell games, which I have not played? Uh, that I don't know. Okay. I haven't played those either. He's in second but, chapter. Yeah, he's in, right. in first chapter, second chapter, and he's, he's in Cold Steel 1 and 2. Um, and this is just like some minor NPC who's totally inconsequential to the plot at large. Uh, but Falcom keeps putting him in because they have this extensively detailed sort of history for all these little people doing their little things, which is part of what makes those worlds feel so robust and alive, is that it's not just the main plot to save the world or whatever. And I mean, even Trails in the Sky 1 and 2, well, 1 specifically, is far less about saving the world. It's it's two young people going out and going on a journey of self-discovery and then sort of getting wrapped up in this political plot as uh, the game progresses. Yeah, the, the political plot in Tra- Trails of the Sky, um, Trails in the Sky, really only takes shape during the final chapter. And the and like you said, the uh, first 80% of the game is a uh, sort of a coming-of-age story for uh, Yashua and... and uh, why can't I think of her name? Estelle. Estelle. Wow. Estelle. Okay. I'm I'm sorry. Brain farting today. <laughs> Estelle and Joshua, and sort of just going on a world tour of this uh of this nation, and it and and Cold Steel too. I mean Cold Steel. Man, I'm just mixing up everything today. And Trails in the Sky second chapter is the one that uh that really you know has the a plot with higher stakes that is uh you know world shaping and and such. It's they they do the you're right. I mean, the Falcom games just have unbelievable detail in all of these worlds and world building and references and character building across multiple games in each of their major series. And I don't know of another developer that has it to that level of, of care. It's really remarkable. And Maybe de- FromSoft. Oh, yeah, maybe. But, I mean, when I started playing uh, Falcom games five, six years ago, the, the more I played, the more rewarding they felt. And now I'm in it as deep as anybody. Yeah, it's the the kind of thing that continues to pay off more and more the further you get into it, the more time you invest into it, you know, the more research you do. And I've I've seen um, so many interesting fan theories and discussions about where the series is going because, um, uh, Trails in particular, because the Trails series has so many Chekhov's guns. And if you're not familiar with that term, um, it's it's like a trope, basically, that if they're... The, the idea is that if you see a, a gun... You know, at some point in a in a work of media, that gun is going to get used because otherwise, yeah. why would they bother introducing it? If, so, if you see a gun in Act One, it will be fired in Act Three. And in a in a in a different episode of Retro Encounter, I referred to farting on a person's balls as a Chekhov's gun. <laughs> is that a Gaston thing? <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a South Park, <laughs> the Stick of Truth thing. Okay, but it was a, uh, but yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, so the Trail series loves to take uh, plot points that seem minor or characters that seem minor and introduce them later to usually some grand effect. And if not, you know, if not like a huge overarching story altering way, it still contributes something to the plot at large. Like, um, yeah, man, you guys, uh, we, we don't want to talk about spoilers for Trails of Cold Steel 2 because that's way too recent. Um, and then I, I'm the only one of us here on this panel right now who has beaten it. So I don't want to go too much into into this story for that one. But there's a lot of interesting theories about how characters like um, Gaius may play a much bigger role in Trails of Cold Steel 3. Um, I've seen some really cool theories about how, like, maybe they're building him up to be the main character of 3. Because he's kind of one of the more inconsequential characters in Trails of Cold Steel. And that's not to say that he isn't important or doesn't contribute in some way. But um, a lot of these people you tend to see kind of on the sidelines 
may have a way more important role in the future. And things like, geez, um, it trails in the sky. So uh, it's probably safe for us to talk a little spoilery about Trails in the Sky 1, not too much, but I will just say that um, the person who ends up being sort of the primary antagonist of Trails in the Sky has a redemption arc of sorts. What? That continues um, through Trails of uh, Trails in the Sky 2. Um, at least they're sort of atoning for their crimes. And then in Trails in the Sky 3rd, that person's a playable character. So it's really neat to oh, see okay. the progression go from... I, like, I, th- I thought you were talking about a certain manipulator and not a certain... Uh... The no, the yes, yes. I'm yeah. talking about the swordsman. I understand. The, yeah, yeah the, not the the anguis. Exactly. So, yeah. All right. I was confused uh, for a second, but go, go on. Uh, I think I'm probably driving this point to the ground, but it's not just necessarily that they're doing fan servicey things and letting you, you know, play around with characters that you've uh, previously seen in other contexts. But it's, I'm always surprised by what they manage to pull off because, even I think a lot of the story beats in. Um, Trails of Cold Steel 1 and 2 are kind of predictable. Uh, but it's it's more in the minutiae, like how the characters sort of interface with one another or exactly how the situation plays out that I find interesting. Not necessarily that, uh, you know, Reen has a superpower buried deep within him. It's like, okay, well, that's a relatively standard RPG trope, is that there's some chosen one or some character who has a, 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 gr- a power greater than them that they struggle to understand. But it's kind of how Reen processes that power and how it relates to some of the people around him. Like um, one of the characters in Cold Steel 2, McBurn, has something similar. And so they don't actually go into a ton of detail about how their powers are connected necessarily, but they give you just enough to sort of start theorizing on your own. Like, oh my God, okay, that's so fascinating. And there's this uh, concept that was established so early on in Cold Steel 1, and we're still playing with it in Cold Steel 2, and they will continue with that in 3. I just... God damn, Falcom does such a good job of getting you invested in uh, their their universes by spinning say, the intricate webs of characters. One thing that I really loved, uh, a, a, a small bit of detail uh, between uh, Cold Steel 1 and 2 is, um, you know, not to spoil anything, but um, the government and power changes between those two games. And when that happens, the newspaper changes. The mm-hmm. tone completely yeah. Um, turns from being a more um, standard uh, national news into a propaganda machine, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really, really nice touch. Right. And then you have characters like Dorothy and uh, Nigel in Trails in the Sky who are reporters. Uh, and so even though Cold Steel is in a different country, you can sort of make a parallel between what you see Dorothy and Nigel. His name is Nigel, right? Yeah. Is it Niall? No, 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 you're right, it's Nigel. No, you're is right, it, I, I think it is Nigel. Is it, no, I think it's Neil, N-I-A-L. I think it is. I think you're right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe two L's, N-I-A-L-L. See, I'm, I'm, such a ba- I'm such a bad fan. Uh, you can see a parallel between what they're doing, because when they're reporting in Libero, they're, uh, they're kind of struggling to get the truth because there's also a, um, there's a military coup happening, and there's sort of conspiracy type stuff uh, going on so you can see them digging to get the the true story they end up following you you all the way to the final dungeon of trails of cold steel 2 to get that story. right exactly and then (laughs) they're intrepid reporters (laughs) it's a contrast with cold steel when you see um how the the sort of reporting is just taken over there and you have to wonder um it's easy to imagine like what's happening behind the scenes are there people like those two trying to get to the bottom of stuff and there's a photographer character who's a minor character that 
um, appears a little bit here and there, so you can get kind of an idea. But it's, I think, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm kind of beating a dead horse. I just think that Falcom does such an incredible job of creating these living, breathing, believable worlds where you can imagine sort of anything happening behind the scenes sure. within, within the sort of bounds that they've set. Um, and they continue to elaborate on those things and come up with new and interesting scenarios for their characters um, to act out. And we still have, at least in Trails, we still have plenty of games left before they actually finish the scenario they've kind of plotted out for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think last time I heard, I think maybe Cold Steel 2 is what, roughly 60% of the way through, like the overarching story that they have planned here. Mm, I haven't heard an estimate in a while in percentage, but that, that sounds about right to me. Yeah. yeah. Cold because I, I know I, that Cold Steel 3 is in the pipeline, and uh, that story is very much not finished. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about Cold Steel 3 now that they've, oh, well, I guess they're still working on one version of Ease 8, but they've got one yeah. down, so maybe... And, then, and they're still working on the a, second version of Tokyo Xanadu that's not out yet. There, the they, EX? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, PS4? They're, they're, mm-hmm. they, could, they could move the trails goalpost whenever they like, I suppose. <laughs> There's also um, Akatsuki no Kiseki, the uh, Trails to Dawn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is a, a mobile game in Japan. Or is it a browser game? I forget. But uh, that's taking place in the Principality of Remiferia, which is an area that is constantly referenced throughout the rest of the series, but never actually explored. Is so that, it's like... Is it on the other side of uh, of Erebonia, or the other side of Calvard, or another continent? Hmm. Uh, isn't it to the north? It's like the Holy City. Okay, so, yeah? so, so probably north of Erebonia, then. I think so. Okay. I could be getting that yeah. wrong, so there there may be a, a larger Falcom super fan out there than I who's going to be like, no, it's actually no, and you would be right <laughs> because I I want to know, I want to get all the details right. I'm so invested in this damn world, man. There's uh, yeah, yeah. We, so we... so world building, <laughs> that that is just one of the things that uh, I really like about the Falcom series. But I will let somebody else address uh, another thing. Well, uh, I know that what I really like, what drew me to their games was their music. Because I, uh, Ease 7 was the first, I think it was the I think I played it before Charles in the Sky. Uh, the first uh, Ease game, or the first Palcom game that I played. And I, I played it because I went to the website for the game and they have like a, two tracks from the soundtrack playing there. Um, one of which I think was vacant interference which is like one of the best yeah. absolutely best boss themes of all time and i was like i love this i love the sort of rock style of these music so i immediately bought seven and i loved it uh Salsetta loved it trails of cold steel loved music and cold steel so i mean i i was very much drawn to the music and there's you know there's a lot of uh, there can be a lot of difference in the the musical styles. These is much more fast paced and rock. And it keeps you pumped because it's an action style RPG. Um, whereas the music in the the Kiseki games can be more like what you might expect from a turn based RPG. And you've got town themes. You've got emotional music, some slower paced uh, stuff like that. Um, but that kind of works in all of our favor. I think there's something for everyone, whether you really like the sort of rocking music of the Ease games or you like more of the the, the fun little ditties in, in Trails in the Sky. Um, actually, I really love Cold Steel because I think it's a really good fusion of the two styles. There's a lot of music in Cold Steel that feels like it could be in an Ease game, 
um, which kind of appeals to my sensibilities and the fact that I love the ease music. But then there's still the more you've got some really cool talent themes. There's beautiful string work throughout that game. So it's a nice sort of blend of trails and ease. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, one of the things that they that they do super well uh, is using recurring motifs over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, it's not so much that they beat it into your head, but they are so good at having these really poignant melodies that pop up at just the right time. Sometimes um, you'll hear an arrangement of the main theme of uh, Trails in the Sky, like in the final dungeon of second chapter. Uh, yeah, and, and recently I've been listening to the East 8 soundtrack, which came out on iTunes right when the game came out in Japan. And they have that, the main theme is almost a waltz yes. in, in that yeah. it, has, it has like it's this, so good. it has this chamber sp- string sound. And, but that like, th- that sort of uh, falling motif that they use in the waltz shows up in so many other songs, from both yep. combat stuff and sort of, uh, you know, town music. It, it, but it, it's, it doesn't feel obnoxious. It's just, it's just, you'll, you'll see these recurring refrains and motifs in East music uh, that, that just are part of the character of the game, and it's it, it's mm. delightful. I can't wait to hear the E8 music in context because it's a little bit less, you know, soaring guitars over orchestra than E7 is, mm-hmm. but it's it's got a lot of cool stuff. There's um, there's field music that's carried by marimbas. There's uh, there's like I think underwater cave music that sounds like the best underwater leveled music you've ever heard. Uh, there's, I think there's, there's a lot of action th- tracks that sound like something out of Mega Man X. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, I can't yeah. wait to play Eastside. But the, 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 uh, I mean, Sound Team JD, JDK stuff is always a delight when they come out with a new thing, and because they're easy to obtain, uh, even you know, even outside of Japan, it just they're they're easy. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Uh, I am um... East indeed. They put their stuff on iTunes usually within a day of the Japanese release and at a much lower price than it would cost to import, which is something I... Uh, yeah, I wish more uh, wish more publishers, developers would do that, would, you know, be that open and fast to get the music up on iTunes. Because, I mean, it's yeah. better now than it ever has been as far as video games is concerned on iTunes, but it still feels like it's, you know, kind of a slog sometimes to, to wait for something that you're, you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I spent thirty-five or forty dollars on importing the Tokyo Xanatu CD, but uh, getting that on iTunes is, I think, twelve or fifteen dollars. So, and mm. and it's you know that's uh, worth it. it. It it's it's worth it, and I and I and I love that CD, and I love having it. But having so much of it available at a reasonable price in every region is just awesome. Yeah, I know everybody loves the um, the the. Um upbeat rocking um ease battle tunes and stuff but i think it would be an oversight not to mention the um uh very kind of like upbeat but bittersweet game over tracks that like only play when you get a game over like um uh so much for today from ease one oh you have to you gotta hear the song uh, sort of music boxy quality to it yeah there's a um there's a piano arrangement of that on um ease piano collections volume one that just makes me want to cry when I hear it. It's it's great. <laughs> yeah, that makes a good case for the diversity of the tracks, like Caitlin was saying. Hmm. Not just but the, these these yes. kind of silly, kind of happy sounding tunes that play that only when you die and only then. I love them. They want you to fight on. <laughs> yeah. 
Robert, maybe you could bring up something that you really like about the series. Or the company. Jeez, I keep saying the series. Uh, We're all misses today. I've got a long, long history with Falcom. Um, in fact, one of, one of the first RPGs I ever played was um, the Master System version of Ancient E's Vanished Omen. Um, and it was a pretty slow and confusing port, and especially because I was like under five when I played it. Um, but I, I recognized that there was something different there from uh, what other companies were doing. Like, you know, it was an action RPG, but it wasn't anything like um, like Zelda or Zelda 2. Um, so when I got a bit older and I was able to recognize, like, you know, and d- differentiate between different studios and recognize what names meant, um, I saw Falcom as a company that didn't really follow trends and were happy to just um, do their own thing off on the sidelines and create their own unique worlds and um, mechanics, um, which sometimes weren't always successful. You know, we previously mentioned um, Ease 3, uh, which was a bit of a um, bit of a nightmare to play. Um, but yeah, they were just always sort of around. Um, and when I was a kid, my two favorite um, game developers were Falcom and Telenet, who I suppose they were kind of similar in what they were doing. And I always saw um, I always saw Falcom as like the uh, more successful company, and Telnet being the underdog. And I found out a couple of years ago that actually that's it was completely the opposite. And Telnet were the giant, and Falcom were like the the struggling underdog of ex ex Telnet employees and um, fresh faced newcomers trying to make their own little uh, games empire. And I'll, I'll tell you this little um, anecdotal story, uh, which you'll probably either find endearing or pathetic. <laughs> what I used to, um, probably when I was about four or five years old, and I used to uh, visit my grandma at the um, old folks' uh, housing complex. There weren't really any uh, kids to play with there, but there was a um, there was a slide um, across the street from her building, and um, I'd go out. I'd play on the slide with my grandma, and I'd I'd say like, okay, this is the tower of this is the tower of Darm, and I'm Adol, and you're gonna be Dogai, and you're gonna break me out from under the slide. <laughs> oh my gosh, oh, that's adorable. So, I used yeah. to do stuff like that all the time too. Like that was my whole my whole childhood playing outside uh, was just reenacting game stuff basically because I either had a lot of imagination or none at all. <laughs> Probably a lot of imagination, but no actual creativity. So I'd just be like, I'm Maxim, and you're Lufia, even though they weren't. <laughs> in the same game yeah i you think I mean. me you're selling there we go yeah. <laughs> original story do not steal me and my best friend growing up would basically have the playground be a different mega man or mega man x stage for us to run through every day it's every we were all every recess terribly pathetic children got it <laughs> except caitlin apparently uh i mean i i, I would run around playing as, as video game and anime characters too i just uh Usually I was doing it by myself because I didn't really know a lot of people back then that were into the same kind of things I was. Like yeah. my friends at school, I don't, you know, some of them played games, but not nearly as much as I did. And almost none of them watched anime as far as I could tell. So, yeah, I, yeah, I had I'm in a much f- better place now with you guys. I had one friend like that, and I was the best man at his wedding a few years ago. So, yeah, <laughs> G- gamer friends for life. Did you have an anime wedding? No, but I did bring up Mega Man in my speech, but uh, we don't need to go there. Uh, Robert? <laughs> I would be honored. <laughs> yes, go ahead. Sorry, Robert. Hopefully your wife won't turn into a Mega Man X. Um, <laughs> no. Anyway, um, yeah, Falcon were always just kind of there when I was a kid, but um, 
you know, for a very long time, they had um, a very limited relationship with Western publishers and an even stranger relationship with home consoles. You know, like they were PC only and they would farm out their um, their their games to other studios for consoles. So I mean, due to their um, due to their odd relationship with both the West and consoles, it kind of became a little bit of an event when a Falcom game was released. Um, before they partnered with Exceed, um, a partnership that I'm really, really happy about, um, I, I kind of became a little bit of a collector of Falcom, uh, Falcom PC games and related merchandise. Um, and it, it makes me sad to see what a uh, bad rap um, pre-Trails Legend of Heroes gets in the West um, due to those super, super poorly translated and badly cut yeah. down um, PSP ports by Bandai. Yeah, I, um, I tried playing those after uh, really enjoying Trails in the Sky Chapter One, and I let's say I didn't do get it. very I didn't get very far in any of them. I'd love um, to play those with a fresh translation. For real, that would be um, interesting. The the PC versions of the Gagarf trilogy are really special little games with plenty of the Trails DNA there. Um, the third game. Uh, Prophecy of the Moonlit Witch, um, Shiroki, Ma- Shiroki Majo, um, that got a really, really nice uh, Saturn port by uh, Hudson and I think a company called Rayforce. Um, and it had this, you know, this very bright colors and this beautiful sort of isometric view that looked a little bit like Landstalker. Um, and there was just so much gorgeous 2D animation in that game. Like every time a character would get... Um, hit or a spell cast on them in battle their uh battle portrait would change like if you if you hit somebody with if uh one of your characters was hit with an electric spell they'd um you know they'd uh, they'd, they'd flash uh flash an x-ray with um bolts around them um and turtles in time style got it yeah they were they were lovely little games that you know bandai really didn't do um justice to and it's kind of amazing that we got trails in the sky at all after mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. after they kind of sullied the waters there. Um, yeah, the Kiseki trilogy was always on lists of of internet lists of these are some great yeah. Japan only RPGs that we're never going to get, and then you know, lo and behold, six years later, we get we get it on PSP, and yeah, hmm. yeah, and then for it to continue after the PSP version didn't do all that well uh, mm-hmm. is nothing short of a an actual miracle. I feel like because definitely. Uh, it was really only to it was only due to the uh, the fan support that got the Steam version to sell well, I think, and then good word of mouth, mm. and uh, that that that's what led to second chapter coming out and Cold Steel and everything. And then I feel like um, we're we're fortunate, I guess, <laughs> that those ever made it over to English speaking territories. For sure, yeah. Right. I mean, there, there's so much of the Trails DNA in the Gagarf trilogy. You know, each each game takes place in a different landmass. Uh, centered around this abyss in the middle of the ocean called Gagarv. Um, you know, characters reappear uh, uh, as they travel from uh, one country to the other. Each game is a little bit of a pilgrimage in the same way that Trails in the Sky was. Um, and it, it's no coincidence that um, the Trails director and um, Falcom's current president, uh, Toshihiro Kondo, uh, said that when he was a teenager, he loved the Gagarv game so much, and that's what inspired him to uh, to write Trails in the way that he did. Well, yeah, because um, fortuitous uh, happening happened. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's. I mean, I, the one of those PSP games that I played for the longest because I, I own all three. I own all three, and I started all three. But the one I got the furthest in was Wrath of the Moonlight Witch, or White Witch. I'm probably getting. I'm probably mixing up the titles, and it is a little bit like Trails in the Sky because it is a boy and a girl that are going on sort of a pilgrimage, and mm. um and, and there's a lot of dialogue and a, and a, a sort of a world tour of that area, and you can sort of get the idea that this boy and girl are falling in love but it was just so poorly translated and explained and had boring event flagging moving the plot along that yeah, i just didn't know what they were doing no they, no it uh, and i remember there was like it's like the worst ship sequence in any rpg i've ever played where you just have to speak to everyone on the ship then do something then speak to everyone on the ship again and then repeat repeat that four times before you get off the damn ship it, it had a lot of minor RPG frustrations in it, but if if there was a cleaned-up version of those games, I would play them in a second, being as in love with Falcom as I am, as I am now. But but again, yeah, I, I hate to make this a refrain, but don't play the PSP versions of the Gagrav trilogy, at least in their current no, version. definitely don't. Um, but, you know, that that's about my history with Falcom. I've said what I need to say. Their games are great. I love them. Um, Caitlin... Yes. How about it? Uh, well, my I'm I'm probably even more of a newbie than than Mike is. I haven't played the older East games, and I know next to nothing about the old Trails games except that they exist. Um, like I said, Seven was my first East title. I've played that in Salsetta. I've played the Trails games. I fully intend on playing. Um, the remakes uh, of Ease, uh, Ease Origin and Felgon, and uh, as soon as I can find a good deal on Steam, I'm just waiting for them to go on sale. Um, they go on sale like I'll... once a year. That'll happen. Yeah, so yeah, as soon as that happens, I'll buy them all up and, and have stuff to play on my laptop. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm relatively, I guess, new into Falcom, but I really ha- have super enjoyed what I've played of it, so... I don't know. I I think I'm qualified to be here, but of course you are. Everybody yeah, is. There's no uh, uh, examination. No, no, no. I I even feel bad about mentioning credentials at the beginning of this podcast. But the only qualification is is love and enthusiasm, and you have that in spades, Caitlin. Thank you. Um, so yeah, so seven was my first D's game, and I don't even know how I found out about it and was looking at their website. Uh, I want. It might have been on sale on uh, on PSN. But like I said, I fell in love with the music and it wasn't, I mean, it, that was really, that was it. It was like, I don't care. This could be a boring game. This, I could hate the, the gameplay. I could hate the characters, the story. I don't care. This music is so awesome. I have to play and, and experience it. And it was a really fun time. I don't, um, I don't. Well, I was going to say I don't play a lot of action RPGs, but that's not necessarily because I don't like them. It's just that a lot of the games that I'm super interested in tended to do more of a turn-based style. Um, but I would, you know, I played games like Brave Friends or Musashi and the Tales series that are more action-y, so kind of felt, you know, natural with the, the action style combat in 7. Um, I love the characters, uh, lots of different fun characters. Um, but only one of them has red hair. Yeah, I mean, well, I, well, the princess, um, I, crap, I forget her name, uh, she has, like, light red hair, or blonde, reddish-blonde, strawberry yeah, hair, uh, I don't know. Aisha? Yeah, yeah. No, that's... Is she, that supposed to be blonde? No, or she has... It looks she, like no, it's pretty blonde. It's a strawberry blonde. 
Yeah, um, so, it's. It, I mean, Adol's the only red characters have flaming red hair. Yeah, the characters in that Adol series have uh, have hair of all colors of the rainbow except for red, which is only Adol. Because he's the hero, we got to make sure we, mm-hmm. you know, we can see him. So, and, and Derek was talking about Rian being the chosen one in his game. You want to talk about someone that stumbles into being the chosen one all the time in every game? <laughs> yes. He yeah. has saved the world for so many Eldritch Abominations in his time. Yeah. And yet nobody knows him. <laughs> Every time he goes to a new place, he's just like, ah, oh, wandering adventurer. And they, and, you know, it's like. Just yeah. hanging, loving him and leaving him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, then there's the entire, like, going back to world building for a second, there's the whole thing that, like, the uh, final boss of East Othenfelgana, or slash three, whatever, is um, sort of like a, a living super weapon. That's also of the same race as these other living super weapons created by the same tribe of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it, it's not just the one Eldritch Abomination, Ancient Evil. It's like oh, that's a mass-produced thing, but this one is special because reasons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, the, the ancient civilization of the Eldil and the old um, sort of offshoot of humans called the Dark Tribe are uh, they, they are present to varying degrees in almost every East game. And like like we mentioned, how in uh, in Memories of Celsetta, there's a uh, there's a a, a a village of surviving Dark Tribe members that aren't evil, and there's more Eldeal technology that is uh, going out of control. But and it, there it's not always the same Eldritch Abomination, but there is a through line between all the Eldritch Abominations, and. Uh, and something that makes Adol special that has him, you know, confronting all of them. And uh, uh, one thing I sort of disagree with Caitlin on, I guess, is I think I think Adol does have some level of notoriety because he's he seems to be a known person when he arrives in Altago in E7 because like he's he he is people have heard of him at least in later in later games in the series. Also, one remarkable thing about the East games is uh, Adol's a different age in each of them. There's a there's a timeline, mm. and he's I think he's probably what 21 or something in seven and eight. So it's it's possible that we'll see the entire Adol arc being played out over many <laughs> many games, and he's and he's an old man about to retire in East 35. But yeah, I, give me bearded oh, Adol no. in his 30s, please. Oh, oh, oh no, yeah. I, let's yeah. let's not old snake it up here, please. I don't know, a silver streak in his hair, maybe a bit of a goatee in, in East 15 when he's like 30. Adult the Red has become Adult the Silver Fox. Yeah. I'm fully into it. And also, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, my secret wish is that we get an East Zero game that stars Adult's dad that you see in, that you meet in Memories of Celsetta. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Because we know uh, that... I want to see, I wanna see that... as little of Adult's background as possible, really. That's just me, though. I wouldn't mind a game, like, you know, because Adol wanted to be an adventurer because his dad was. And I think one game about Adol's dad would be cool. But, I mean, beyond that, I, I wouldn't mind sticking to Adol. Because Adol's the main character in every mm-hmm. single game except for Origin, which is set a uh, 1,000 or 2,000 years before East 1. Yeah, part of the mystique of the, the series is that there are canonically hundreds of travelogues based on all of Adol's adventures that he's had over time. And... um. You know, Robert, I can see what you're saying about not wanting to know too much because I think that some of the appeal at least comes from the sort of mystery surrounding Adol and how he became this storied adventurer. So, uh, mm. yeah, I mean, I could see a story with his dad being interesting, but I could also see those details being left intentionally blank being a different sort of interesting. So, 
Uh, anyway, Caitlin, you were talking about your personal history, and I kind of buttered in there. So, no, that's okay. Um, I mean, my personal history with ease, anyways, is just seven Celsada, and then when we get ease eight, um, and Celsada, I really, I loved E seven, but I actually think Celsada is the better of the two, and maybe that's partly just because it was designed uh, for the Vita, whereas seven was a PSP game, and there's uh, certain upgrades, I guess, that they've been able to to throw in as they get more and more familiar with the uh, with the engine. Uh, I think they're both running on the same engine, but one thing about Falcom is that's I like about them. It's also kind of it's a like dislike is you know they're never super uh, up to date or you know current as far as graphics are concerned, but they do make improvements uh, from every entry. Like you know, Salsetta looks and runs. Uh, a lot prettier, uh, I think, than than Seven does, even though they're running the same engine. Of course, different platform, but uh, same thing with the Trails games, Cold Steel. Uh, aside from some frame rate issues, which the first one had as well, I feel like they made improvements to uh, to the graphics, to uh, to animations, uh, going from one to two. Um, but Salsetta itself is just. It's such a fun little game. I think part of it's because you're uncovering memories. Uh, as you go from place to place, uh, memories of Adol's past, but also uncovering memories of like his long ago past, but also the recent past, why he's even there in Salsetta, what's going on and his relationship with the ultimate big bad and whatnot that sort of becomes clear as you progress through the game. And I thought that was a really neat little thing to see sort of that history play out and the explanation for why he's lost his memories to begin with. And then uh, the characters are, I mean, like, Frida. Frida is best girl. Um, I'm sorry. I, I wish she came in earlier in the game because I love her and I, I, I mained her uh, once I got her in my party because she's just a lot of fun to play with. Yeah, Frida's terrific, but you don't get her until, like, the last third, which is a bummer. Yeah. Uh, her her move set is very wide. You can hit a lot of enemies at once. Super fun to play with. She is best girl. I'm not arguing that point. Yeah. So, and then, of course, music. Music was, it's its kind of, I don't know of an ease game that had, at least that I've played, that has bad music. And Celsetta, you know, has some really, some of my favorite pieces of Falcom music, just period. The um, the music that plays in that village, uh, Frida's Village, that uh, is one, I love that. I have got to get that on Rhythm Encounter at some point because it's <laughs> such a good piece of music. A lot of those are remixes from the Super Famicom version as well. Um, they sound really, really nice um, in in Celsetta especially. Yeah, I, I like how uh, East music can be evocative also of I have so many different moods for one, but also kind of different games. Like how I mentioned uh, Mega Man X earlier, there's I think it's called Gust of Wind on the East Celsetta soundtrack that really reminds me of Mega Man X. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a track Harlequin's Temptation yeah. that has a sort of uh, it sounds like a ch- a chiming bell in a clock tower. Reminds me of Castlevania. Um, perhaps mm. I'm just being unoriginal by using other games as a frame of reference, but no, uh, no, they, I... they're good at setting different moods. It's actually, um, you know, there are parts of Cold Steel 1 that remind me a lot of the Ace Combat series for some reason. I don't know why, because I look at the composers involved and none of them were involved with Ace Combat games, as far as I know. But there's kind of that, you know, it... it Evoc- it, it, it is evocative of different games, and that can be cool too. 
Now, I want to talk about something about East that's not about the music really quick. There, I think that there's been such a very clear evolution in gameplay for the series that it's probably worth mentioning. Because the, the earliest East games use what I call the uh, either the sumo wrestling or the lawnmower gameplay style. Where the you, bump and grind. Yeah, where you um, attack enemies by running into them. But if you run into them at an angle, you deal damage to them. If you run into them directly, uh, you take you take damage and deal damage. And if you and if they run into you at an angle, then you take damage. So it's only about positioning and and bumping into enemies, which is strange to get used to if you're used to more of a you know Zelda style press a button to swing your sword kind of thing. And I, I played the um, recent PC remakes of the first two East games, and it took some getting used to, especially since the difficulty and experience curve in East 1 is pretty terrible. Mm. But the uh, uh, but after that, you have the um, Napishtim, Oath and Felgana, East Origin-style game, which, which is sort of a more like a, a top-down Zelda game, but with more jumping and more... Fast and Furious action that sometimes feels like a shmup game. These just really intense uh, one-character action RPGs. And and uh, Felgana was the first East game I played. After I really liked uh, Trails in the Sky, I looked into more Falcom stuff. I found uh, Felgana for super cheap on Steam, played it, adored it, played the other East games on Steam, then played Seven and Celsetta. And my favorite of them is probably Seven, because but uh, after those three that I just mentioned, Seven, Celsetta, and the new East Eight, go away from single character combat into a three person combat where you switch quickly between the three characters in your party, and there's super moves and big flat and big flashy attacks and a lot of cool gameplay elements of countering and dodging and building up meter and such that remind me of. Uh, of an old Secret of Mana, Psychonin Zetsu 3, or even a uh, 2000s X-Men Legends game, which are two things that I really, really love and really, really missed until I started playing E7. So, yeah, not only has, does East have this really consistent lore and fantastic music and a great main character in it all, they, uh, they have this really interesting three stages of evolution to their gameplay that makes me really excited to see what improvements they make to the party-based East gameplay in 8 and going forward. Mm. That was a long diatribe, I apologize. <laughs> so, so, so you, I mean, like, Mike, do you prefer having a party and having, um, you know, three characters, or did you like more having just, just 8 all? I like both styles, but I think I like having a party more because I really like variety, mm. and, uh, uh, my favorite East game is probably Seven, because you just get a lot of variety and a lot of uh, and the gameplay and bosses and music together is all fantastic. And I actually was surprised by some of the directions the plot took in that game, which does not usually happen in RPGs. But uh, I, I and I appreciated Celsetta's improvements to that kind of gameplay. But I hate to bring it up bring up old ga- like just comparing it to old games again but East 7 really scratched that secret of mana itch that I had been missing and and I th- and I absolutely adored it and yeah I can't wait for East 8 that's one of my most ex- uh, anticipated games in the next couple of years right up there with Persona 5 I really like all of the East games but I got to say I'm not a super fan of the direction that it's gone into I mean I th- I think that um 7 and Celsetta are very 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 good games, and I think that 8 looks fantastic as well. But um, I kind of feel like um, they really hit their stride 
with um, the Felgana formula of being a very uh, fast-paced and frenetic action RPG boiled down to its base elements. And in seven, I mean, you you've got the the party system, and they add like gathering gathering loot and crafting, and it you know it all seemed like a lot of uh, a lot of trends from other RPG series that felt a little bit out of place in an ease title. So I'm not completely on board with them myself. I personally, I think that um, Felgana in particular is the high point. Felgana is the best of me. those, but I, I I really really liked Felgana, but. I mean, I love. I the like part- them all. I, I like the party system a lot. Uh, this is a very, very good version of a of a fast moving 3D action RPG with a party system. Oh, the party based combat is whip smart, absolutely. With the you know different uh, different characters deal different damage styles and you know exploiting vulnerabilities. Um, it's all really, really smart. But I guess it's just the other stuff around it that. But I should say though the the best the the East game with the best combat is definitely Alternative Saga, the fighting game that feels like E seven married uh, Power Stone two and just had, a, and yeah. had a gorgeous baby. Well, it's just E 7s engine. Sort yeah, of it is. <laughs> and and I think they they take away one menu button for a second for a uh, for a roll and then replace it with a roll, so you can block, jump, and roll and attack. But wh- whatever, it's Alternative Saga is a great import with the menus mostly in English. Mm-hmm. Yep, minimal Japanese required to enjoy, and especially now that we have uh, second chapter out here in English, it's not such a spoiler to just, just <laughs> right. boost the game up. I, I did get I, I did get spoiled. I, I did get spoiled for second chapter, basically the identity of one of the villains by playing Alternative Saka before then. Yeah, just by seeing them there wielding a weapon, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's a villain. Yeah, <laughs> so that's it, and it's uh, last time I checked, it was pretty cheap to import too. I think I paid like 10 bucks when I imported it plus, you know, $5 shipping or whatever. But I think I paid uh, 15 and it, and it was shortly after I finished uh Trails in the Sky, so that was 4 or 5 years ago. It should be easy to find. Yeah, and that's uh, the whole SP. Full title there is East versus Soranoki Seki Alternative Saga. Characters from East 7 and Trails in the Sky in a giant crazy fighting game. Totally awesome. And the music, of course, they have tons of music yep. uh, from, from, and, from throughout and, Falcons library not just those two series but like brandish and xanadu and stuff oh sick yeah and there yeah. and the, there's also summons from all over the uh, falcom university you summon characters for bonuses and you summon the two kids from uh moonlight witch and or sorry, oh. Wrath of the white lich which and the the chick from gurumin it's mm-hmm. it, it gets pretty wild dark fact is even one of the summons in that game <laughs> my boy I think I think Robert's going to be importing something soon. <laughs> well, I I don't have a working PSP at the moment. I've got I've got one with with a broken analog nub that's gathering dust in the corner. Oh. I think that game is still in my PSP, which is a God of War version one with all the paint peeling off and cracking. Oh. Yeah. Such a good little system, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I bought a new one at the end of it, just at, at like the end of its lifespan. I remember my ex uh, actually getting mad at me. Because he was like, what the hell are you doing? The Vita is out. Why would you buy a new one? And I was like, but it's a slim white one. I'm, I'm considering getting one just so I'll have one when the one that I use now if it, like, um, eventually croaks. Yeah, they're nice. I, I was very surprised at the uh, upgrade from the old fat PSP 1000 to the slim 3000, which I've also considered oh. upgrading my Vita to the 2000, the slimmer 
flighter Ooh. model, but the screen. The screen's not as Why? good. Why? Yeah. Why? Well, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I considered it because I wanted the reduced form factor, but the screen's an LED instead of an yeah. OLED. So. It's, not, it's not nearly as pretty. Mm-hmm. That's why I was I was so afraid. I was so afraid when I was having battery issues on my Vita that I was going to have to replace it and get you know be forced to get the two thousand unit. Um, but then I fixed it. So good. Crisis averted. I uh, you you can take my Vita one thousand from my you know cold lifeless hands and. <laughs> When it dies, when it is absolutely dead and there's no way to fix it, then you can have it. But before then, no. I my Vita 1000 is still working great, and I love that machine maybe more than any of my other gaming machines right now. But I'm I'm on my second PSP, and it's in one of the 2000 models. Hmm. Well, either way, uh, now that they're no longer the system du jour. You can mm. grab one of those and Alternative Saga probably all for sub a hundred bucks, which is still a lot of money. But I hey. probably will. Yeah. I I will eventually too. <laughs> and I mean, if you don't have a Vita, it's a, you know that's not a lot to pay for a system that has a lot of great games going for it. I mean, I had crap ton of games on my my PSP before I sold it. Yeah, I, ma- I imagine UMDs have to be going for cheap now, too, even though I haven't shopped for a long time. Yeah. I would be surprised if they're not more than, like, a couple bucks. Yeah, they're quite cheap. Sony, yeah, with your proprietary me. media. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so, um, how about that Falcom, huh? Right. Segway. Fal- <laughs> Falcom was very kind to the PSP. They put out... All- I think they put out almost all of their... Legend of Heroes and East games for either the PSP or Vita, at least the past 10 years. And uh, I think that happened, and East 7 is only available on PSP everywhere except China. That's right. Uh, and they said that, I think it was because the Sony platforms were where they were selling the best for them. And uh, and going forward, I mean, um, East 8 is out on Vita, and the PS4 version is coming out in 2017 because they prioritize the Vita version because that's where their uh, their recent games have sold the best. So, yeah, it helps to be a Vita owner and a Falcom fan in the center of that Venn diagram. Hmm. Yes, and then yes. Uh, the uh, support for Falcom in the U.S. is ongoing, thanks to Exceed, but... Uh, I mean, they even released Brandish, um, The Dark Revenant, which was a PSP remake of the original Brandish for Super Famicom um, on PSP. And that was what, I think it was last year. It was last year. Yeah, Yeah, but it was one of the last PSP games to be released, period. It was digital only, but even so, it was like, Mm. in 2015, they released a PSP game that's, it works on Vita as well. Um, Same is true of uh, Trails of Cold Steel Second Chapter. Right, but they did it. No, Trails in the Sky. Second. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh my, oh man, I'm just mixing up all these <laughs> titles. This is like the fourth time it's happened this podcast. But yeah, it, uh, Trails in the Sky second chapter was a PC and PSP release in late 2015, which is insane. Mm. Yeah, I still need to play Dark Revenant. I really liked Brandish back in the day. It's pretty cool. I, I think it's all right. I reviewed it, and uh, I didn't think it was perfect, but it was fascinating. That's the best mm. word I can think of to describe it. It's just very much uh, the type of game design you don't often see yeah. in, in today's market. Um, and of course, great music and atmosphere, because Falcom. I remember when I first played um, Koei's port at Brandish on Super Nintendo, I was like, oh, oh Is no. Is that the one where the, the room spins around you? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's um, headache-inducing. And so I, I, I really, really didn't like it at the time. Um, but later, as I got into my my Super Falcon fanboy um, phase, um, I, I got into I got a new appreciation for the series when I played Brandish two and three. Um, and three is really cool because it lets you play as um, Dila and uh, other characters for the first time. Yeah. And then there's um, that super weird um, Brandish VT, the um, isometric game, which might as well stand for very terrific. Um, I'd yeah. like to see. I'd like to see more of um, more Brandish stuff. Um, I liked um, I liked Sorcerian a lot too. From what I understand, they want to do a revival of Sorcerian at some point next year. Um, yeah. I I think they just said they want to do that. I don't know if that they actually will. Huh. Yeah. Have you guys ever played those games? I've never played Sorcerian anything. I watched yeah. I, I watched videos of Sorcerian and other Dragon Slayer related things uh, mm. when I started getting into Falcom stuff. So probably three or four years ago was when I did that, and it, it's fascinating. But I didn't actually decide to dive in and try to play any of them. It's a little bit like if Ease Three was like more of a computer RPG. It's like a side-scrolling collection of Dungeons and Dragons modules that you can choose from, and you create your own party, and then they age. Um, and there's all these different varying scenarios. Um, strangely enough, um, Sierra brought out the PC version in the West in like 1989. Oh, weird. Um, so that's that's how I played that. But I mean, that just seems like such a weird match. And um, I mean, none of the others ever came out in the West. And the series didn't really change much over the years. I think the first one was probably the best. But I'm just <laughs> still thinking about Sierra and Sorcerian kind of blows my mind today. <laughs> Let's talk about Cold Steel 1 and 2 a little bit. Because, I mean, Cold Steel 2 just came out uh, a month or two ago, depending on the release date of this episode. And uh, it's it's really, the I guess, the Falcom joint du jour. So, uh, uh, Derek, you're the only one that's here of us that's finished Cold Steel 2, right? Hmm. Yes. All right, so uh, now you um, you gave it a pretty positive review on RPG Fan. Yeah, I think it's goddamn fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so talk about that. So, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> not a great no, segue. Okay. Uh, well, Cold Steel Two, um, you know, it's it's not drastically different from Cold Steel One in terms of actual mechanics. Um, what it really does differently is sets a different tone and resolves a lot of dangling plot threads. Um, Cold Steel One takes place in the Thor's military academy. So you're playing as Reen and you're getting to know all of the, uh, his classmates in class seven, which is the um, sort of military class made up of a mixture of commoners and nobles, which is a new thing for the country of Erebonia where the game is set. And a lot of that is sort of him struggling to find his place in that class in the world and all of the students exploring their country, figuring out the political climate. And, um, you know, all that builds up to, uh, a dramatic shift in tone at the end of Cold Steel One and yeah. Cold Steel Two. Yeah, you really so, you really get into the nobles versus commoners uh, dynamic throughout the game, and then it sort of comes to a boiling point near the end, right? Yeah, yeah. So Cold Steel Two, you know, it does have some mechanical additions. Like there's a new uh, feature in battle where you can do an overdrive mode that allows characters to enact a couple of turns at once in the turn-based battle system. Um, there's things like you have an airship where you can recruit the Thor's military academy students that are scattered across the country uh, and use them as sort of shopkeepers and other miscellaneous things around the ship. So that the base construction element is sort of minimal with there. So again, I mean, not a lot of actual mechanical differences. It's just, it's more of the the same 
um, foundation with a new story in a kind of different setting. And what I think it does really well is, um, you know, like you said, Mike, everything that's happening in Cold Steel 1 is, is building up to this sort of breaking point where the country changes and then these, these students at the center of the narrative have the power to actually change what's happening in the country they live in. Um, I, I just think that it's uh, it does a, a really excellent job of continuing to develop a lot of good characters who I already enjoyed and were well-defined. Um, some take more of an active role than others, but it's uh, it's just a... They executed really well. I mean, it's it's just Falcom doing Falcom, making another really solid traditional Japanese RPG that has um, adherence to these really strong character uh, arcs and great world building and everything. Um, I think it's friggin' great, and you should probably play it. I really want to play it. I just got to get through Cold Steel 1 first. I very, very recently finished Trails in the Sky 2. Uh, waiting in a repair shop for them to fix my Honda Accord. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you were also spending, you know, um, what, 13 days beating Dragon Quest Seven. Oh, yeah. I, I before beat, anybody I, else in yeah, the known world. I beat Dragon Quest Seven in about two weeks. Uh, and uh, the person that's reviewing it for RPG fans still hasn't finished it. <laughs> yeah. But, the, uh, but, yeah, I mean, Cold Steel 2, it really seems to just... Uh, uh, pay off on everything that Cold Steel 1 set up, but the story still isn't done because we're expecting Cold Steel 3 in Japan uh, next year. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, uh, I really want to dive deeper into that, but I got I just have other games on my plate right now, including one for Retro Encounter next month. I need Cold Steel 3 details, like I need air right now. <laughs> you haven't even beaten Be- 2. I, that doesn't, that's beside the point. <laughs> I, I need it. It's a related point. Come on. Like, they, they teased a little bit of it in the PS4 port of uh, Tokyo Xanadu, Tokyo Xanadu EX Plus. Um, there's an image. Looks like, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be, it's, not, it's probably not supposed to be, like, final box art, but it looks like character art of Reen. It says Senoki Saki 3, and he looks like a badass. And But he also looks drastically different from from what you would expect at the end of Cold Steel 2. So it's making me wonder what's going on. Is what's what's going on with him? What's going on with the world? These questions of like who's going to be the main character? Are we going to have all new characters? Are they going to pull a, 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 a Trails in Sky third where you actually have a different protagonist? Right, because there was a... Not to... I want to touch upon this very, very lightly and delicately, but in uh, uh, Trails of Cold Steel 2, there is a bit of story that you can only access on a second playthrough, and it leads to a sort of super secret extra cutscene that uh, is very surprising and um, reveals some, some interesting tidbits about characters who were kind of in the background that may very well take a much larger role in the next game. So you never know uh, where the series is going to go. And there's also um, a pretty significant, uh, I don't know how to explain it. There's a tonal shift again towards the end of Cold Steel 2 that uh, raises a lot of questions that aren't answered yet. So I can't wait to see how all that plays out. I just really love the Cold Steel games. I really do. Like, I know... Um, I had trouble getting into, into, into Trails in the Sky, and I want to go back to it and, and beat it and play second chapter. 
but I, I really did have trouble getting into it. And part of that is just that I don't really go for, you know, more old school uh, style, like, you know, graphic wise uh, games. So that's kind of uh, was kind of a barrier for me. But I thought that Trails of Cold Steel, despite being, you know, one of the, the most recent entries in the series, we don't have uh, the um, the Crossbell games yet in English. Um, so we don't have that context, even though. Cold Steel sort of playing concurrently with them. Despite all that, I think I still think it's still a great place to start in the series if yeah. you're interested. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it 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 fixes for me a lot of the issues that I had with Trails in the Sky, like you know graphic wise, and the battle system is a lot smoother and faster. Um, and they've continued to improve that in Cold Steel too, from what I've played thus far. So. I cannot I cannot recommend Cold Steel enough. Both games, both games. I mean, I you know if you're at all interested in the series and you don't know if you've never played a game before, you don't know where to start. You can you know certainly try Trails in the Sky because that's sort of the starting point. But if you're not quite sure about that, Cold Steel is a perfectly good place to start, and it might you know sort of light the fire in you to play more Trails games. I I'm going to go, like I said, I'm going back to Trails in the Sky and I think I will enjoy it more and get more into it because I've seen some of the uh, the characters and plots and hints from Trails in the Sky uh, pop up in Cold Steel. And now I want to go back and play Sky in second chapter and third when it comes out and see uh, where those little threads are coming from. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in a constant state of wanting to replay one or all of the games in the series just to see how stuff that I now know connects back to see where the hints were dropped because man like like i said the thing in cold steel 2 is like are you kidding me <laughs> so it makes me want to go back and investigate those characters more thoroughly and see what they had to say throughout that may have pointed in that direction but was subtle enough that i didn't notice you know there there is a lot of that stuff i mean even way back at the beginning of the series um because i was playing through um I was replaying Trails of uh, Trails in the Sky one uh, as I was playing uh, Cold Steel, and and there are there are certain characters and hints um, that have payoff yeah, in the, Cold Steel. The, the Anguish character in in uh, Trails in the Sky part one, and seeing him reveal himself at the end. That like when I replayed that to get a perfect file to carry into Trails in the Sky two, knowing that that character was a villain was really illuminating just they're really good at sneaking subplots uh under your nose that are present for the whole game and do have sh- foreshadowing only to you know have you re-examine them in a total different in a totally different yeah. context later that's how that that's the best kind of twist something that something that makes sense and isn't really breaking any rules and has you re-examine everything that happened leading up to it with uh with new eyes and 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 still being just as surprising and illuminating, it's well, yeah, well, yeah. it's great storytelling. <laughs> it follows its own rules to the letter. It's just it's up to you to recognize that there are rules there, being followed. Mm-hmm. There's a really excellent fan site out there called Endless History. Um, the website is exterior.net, E-S-T-E-R-I-O-R.net, um, run by Kirsten Miller, who's known for being a, a Falcom sort of super fan and kind of. Uh, person a reference person um for it, the series yeah, lore yeah at endless and, history uh, is the best falcom twitter follow if you want to mm-hmm. get falcom stuff there it's terrific twitter 
Yeah, and she and some other people were working on these translations of scenes from uh, Trails in the Sky 3rd that were really important to Cold Steel's story because we never got to play those games here. And uh, now that Trails in the Sky 3rd is officially happening, I think they've sort of slowed their efforts on that front. But there was one that was talking about uh, a scene in Trails in the Sky 3rd where um, I'm not terribly familiar with the plot of 3rd because I didn't, you know, I don't want to spoil myself, but I do know that there are these sort of... uh, they're called star doors throughout the game, and they seem to be memory fragments that relate to the overall series uh, lore and story. So there's one where um, it's a meeting between all of the the uh, anguises, whatever, <laughs> anguis, uh, is it just anguis for portal? The, basically the uh, higher-ups in this shadowy organization that keeps uh, appearing throughout the series. And one of them is just referenced, uh, I think by, I want to say their title, The Azure Abyss, and this is in Trails of the Sky. Oh my gosh! And then that person ends up being extremely important in Trails of Cold Steel too. Oh wow! I had no mm. idea. And wait, yeah. and wait. So, and there's and the organization has their their councils called Anguis, and there's seven or eight of those. There's and ten, I think. There's ten. Okay, and their their uh their operatives are called uh enforcers, uh, enforcers. and there's thirteen yeah. of them. Uh, I think. I think so. I don't. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how many. Lots of numbered there. lists. It's fantastic. Right. So, mm. And then now we know that there are even people below. I mean, there are like the foot soldiers, and then there's like one of the Anguis uh, has her own legion of knights, and the head of her legion of knights is a character in Cold Steel too. It's like, Jesus. What? Um, yeah, but it's a. Uh, it's interesting how things like that. It seems like they plant the seeds early so that they can reap them later, and so to have the Azure Abyss mentioned in uh, Trails in the Sky 3rd, only to have them reappear as a key player, you know, what, uh, four games later? I mean, what the hell? That yeah, is like impressive. Really a decade photo. later. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine when course, they finally get around to wrapping up the series, the last couple of games? I know. How and amazing I'm, it's going to be. And I mean, they probably don't have exactly everything figured out the moment they sort of introduce these plot threads and they develop them as they go. I, I mean, I would have to imagine. Um, that they didn't have like that character's design and full background realized yeah. a decade ago. But even you know, come so, up with an evocative name and then drop it later. <laughs> yeah, to have it all connect is just wow, so cool. This is the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night, <laughs> <laughs> theorizing about uh, Falcom games. Well, there are other Falcom games that are coming out soon, soon-ish that we're anticipating, right, Mike? Yes, indeed, there are, and uh, I, I guess there's three on the list that are uh, the most immediate and coming that we know a few things about, and we've alluded to all three of them in this podcast already, I think, and those are uh, Trails of Cold Steel 3, East 8 Lacrimosa of Dana, and Tokyo Xanadu, which actually oh. came out in a, a year and a half ago or so in Japan. But we're Xanadu f- Next is supposed to be out on Steam by the end of the year. That's true, right. That, that's a, what was it, a PSP game? It was an N-Gage game. An N-Gage Ooh. game from the, from the 2000s that's getting a PC <laughs> port later this yeah. year. Well, I think the PC version is from like 2004. Okay, but it's, oh, okay. I think Exceed are supposed to put it on Steam by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. It's the first time this one has been released in uh, North America on PC. And also, to- the, um, the uh, English localization of Tokyo Xanadu is not going to be handled by Exceed, which, which is unusual. It's going to be handled by Axis. Yeah which is the team that uh, does... Zero Escape. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Not, not Danganronpa. Nipponichi does Danganronpa. 
But yeah, uh, so yeah, the Zero Escape localization team is going to localize Tokyo Xanadu or, you know, uh, Persona 3, the action RPG. That That is a... That's an apt description from what I've seen of the game. Even the music is reminiscent, I think, of the oh, sort yeah. of funky style that's in Persona in general, but Persona 3 in particular. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a character with hair that flops over his eye. There's a, a cool girl with a fencing rapier. There's a there's an idol, which is from a different Persona game, naturally, or a couple different Persona games. But Tokyo Xanadu looks like a... Uh, an action RPG that has more of a uh, closer to a third-person perspective than the, a recent East game. It, uh, it's sort of the ca- it's sort of an over-the-shoulder camera where you see the you see the character, but it's not. It's more like you're moving through corridors and moving through a top-down environment. But the action looks super dope, and it's stuck in a in modern Tokyo uh, with some sort of shadow world or other world that you travel to and defeat shadowy monsters there's there's a lot of persona in this game and all the main characters are high school students that develop powers Isn't that kind of it's kind of interesting that they pick up that trend because you know mm-hmm. there there are persona elements in well very light persona elements in cold steel and cold steel 2 with the the date changing date system spending time with people and just you know being being students, yeah. So, but Tokyo Xanadu sounds even more like, in like thematically, like a maybe a closer analog to Persona. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. say either of them are real ripoffs, but there's there's a lot there's Persona influence or Persona three and four influence in both of those games, and Tokyo Xanadu wears it a little bit more obviously than Trails of Cold Steel does. But I'm still excited for it. I've been listening to that soundtrack for a year and a half, and. Uh, I um its reviews have been lukewarm at least compared to the more popular Trails of Cold Steel 1 and 2 but I I really want to play that it's going to be a day one buy when it comes out in English eventually it for me. it looks great it'll probably be a day one buy for me as well um I'm a little bit tired of seeing RPGs about high schoolers hanging out in Tokyo fighting demons by night but I mean whatever it still it still looks like it's going to be really solid yeah. That's that's fine. They, um, they they can all come to me instead. Just, just come to me. I'll 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 eat them up. I'm, I'm not tired in the least. It's a, it's a shame that we're only getting the sort of vanilla version of Tokyo Xanadu here in English yeah. because there is a Tokyo Xanadu EX or EX Plus yeah. plus Alpha featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series <laughs> uh, coming out uh, in Japan. Either it just came out or is coming out very soon. Um, I know that the the soundtrack for that. I think it's out, yeah. The soundtrack for it just released on US iTunes, plug, plug, uh, just because I want them to get supported. Uh, so we're not getting this sort of enhanced version, but, um, you know, I suppose it's not out of the cards that that sort of thing could be released as a DLC add-on. I, I have no idea. Um, uh, the uh, P- the PS4 version no. just came out last month. Oh, okay. It says it, uh, September 8th, I think. Oh, yeah, so the one we're getting in North America, is that just Vita and PC? I believe I think it's just Vita. I think it's just Vita. It's um, Vita. Yes, yeah. I think Xanadu. I think it's PC also. I think they're doing a Steam port. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They, they oh yeah, okay. They were also do a, port, a PC port. Oh cool. Yes. Yeah. Right, but the so. original Xanadu was Vita only in Japan, but we're getting it in 2017 in English-speaking territories on Vita and PC. But it's not going to be the EX Plus version. It's just the vanilla right. Tokyo Xanadu. Yeah. Even so. Even still, so, yeah. Still hype worthy, and I'm still really yeah. I'm still it. excited for it. I've been. I'm almost worried I'm too excited for it since I've been following that closely since before it came out. 
Mike, I cannot even imagine your reaction when you actually get your hands on it, assuming oh, that you Lord. buy it in, you know, physically. Yeah, I I cannot wait for that thing. It's it it just it just checks every box on my list of recent RPG enthusiasms. So I can't wait to finally play that. But going back to games that Exceed is localizing, uh, Cold Steel 3 comes out in Japan in 2017, and East 8 Lacrimosa of Dana is already out on Vita in Japan, but uh, the United States and Europe should, and Canada should be getting it probably in 2017, but we don't know. Is that right? We don't We don't have an announcement about Cold Steel 3 yet. I don't no. Know. Oh, okay. Or, We're or getting... Um... It's, a, it's a safe assumption that it probably Exceed will handle it at some point. It's just a question of when. Because, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I, 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 I'm wondering, like, they're working on 3rd now probably because Cold Steel yeah. 3 is still in development. But once Cold Steel 3 is done, I wonder if Falcom is going to want them to move and do Cold Steel 3 first or if they're going to let them do possibly the Crossbell games, please. Well, I, I would like to see the Crossbell games a lot. Um, Me I too. think we also need to remember that Cold Steel 3 doesn't even have a platform confirmed yeah. for it yet. Oh, right, they don't, yeah. They're they're thinking about it being what a PS4 only game. We just have a title in a yeah, year. Yeah, I have heard that. Which uh, I'm torn about that. Like being on PS4 would obviously convey certain benefits. I love my PS4, but I've played every Trails game on my on my Vita thus far, and I love that portability factor. I love the fact that I can just take it with me and play a massive, it long console quality RPG on my system and I, I would hope, I really hope that Cold Steel 3 will also be on Vita I would like yeah, to see it that would be too nice I, to have it on the go. I, I just love playing things with my Vita in general Vita, we love it you should love it too it doesn't matter if Sony doesn't please it's don't totally all, abandon it developers it's, it's not all pervy little girl games yeah, the Vita really is like the the third party darling because there are plenty of third parties that show the Vita lots of love, like Falcom, even if Sony has just decided it doesn't exist. No. Hey, uh, what World of Final Fantasy is coming out for it, right? Mm-hmm. Cosmic Star Heroine <laughs> is getting a Vita port when that comes out soon. I just wish uh, things ran better on it because I mm-hmm. I love the Vita as a system. It just Whenever I see games that are released on both PS4 and Vita, and the Vita version has significant slowdown, like Cold mm-hmm. Steel. And, and um, Dragon Quest Builders recently. Yeah, it's like, come on. I, I want to play it on the go, but I have to go for the system that runs better because I'm such a frame rate snob. But Falcom definitely loves the Vita because they keep making things for it. Yes, they do. So, let's see. Have we? Do you think we've talked about Falcom enough? It's never enough. Yeah, I think we have. Okay. <laughs> well, it is true. It is never enough, but I guess it's enough for today. Th- thank you so much, Caitlin, Robert, and Derek, for coming onto the podcast to chat with hey. me about about Nihon Falcom and their wonderful, wonderful games. Was that a thank soundtrack? Thank you very plan? much. Uh, a soundtrack. So plan? much for so much for today. Oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, that, that went over my head. I'm Too sorry, niche. man. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm not sophisticated enough to get that reference. But uh, now, talking to you, the listener, we have lots of exciting things planned in the future for Retro Encounter. Our October game is going to be the uh, darling um, 
uh, lyrical RPG, Child of Light. We're, uh, we're playing it in October, and those episodes will air in November. We've recently put out episodes about Danganronpa, and we have very shortly upcoming episodes on Kingsglaive Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy VI. So, Final Fantasy fans, please... Uh, Tune in for upcoming retro episodes. If you want to email us, you can do so at retro at rpgfan.com. Please comment on the message boards on rpgfan.com and visit our Facebook page and review us on iTunes. It really helps us get you know word on the podcast around and and allow us to expose ourselves to more RPG fans. <laughs> Interacting with us. <laughs> I, I see what you did there. Phrasing. My bad. Uh, so... All right, everyone, where can we find you on social media? Uh, By which I mean Twitter handles. Mm. Uh, Well, if you want to follow me, Derek, I am at EmbryonX on Twitter, and I hate that stupid goddamn X, but when I made my account, Embryon was taken, apparently. So, yeah, Derek Heemsbergen at EmbryonX. And Caitlin? Uh, I'm at Leon Cazero, or sorry, Leon underscore Cazero. On Twitter, it's it's spelled the same way as my my handle on the boards. I know I pronounce it kind of weird, probably, but yeah, so that. And Robert, I'm at Misanthrobob on Twitter. I love you. Welcome to Costco. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Welcome to Retro Encounter. We love you. What about our prestigious host here? What about you, Mike? <laughs> Yeah, I'm at the real monsoon on Twitter, and I, uh, I I wanted to get at Solosi at my last name on Twitter, but I couldn't get it. I missed that by about five days. The person getting it before me, which is mm. tragic. But yeah, I'm at the real monsoon on Twitter, it's and hunting them down, watching their watching their Twitter history. I have down to the day. I, I I've done that before, and it's they they're not using that name well at all. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Mm. But yeah, we're Retro Encounter, and thanks for listening, everyone. Goodbye. See ya. Bye. Ta-ta.